Welcome to a brand new episode. Mike Driscoll, The Python Show. All right, uh, welcome to The Python Show with Mike Driscoll. Today we have a very special guest, Steve Dower from Microsoft. He also is a core Python developer. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's uh, great to, to get to be on here and to get to meet you, which uh, we, we were just chatting before. I don't think we've ever actually met before. So Yeah, I was uh, excited to finally get to chat with you. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to it. Um, I usually ask my guests to just tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey to programming in general. So if you could kick us off, that'd be awesome. Yeah, so dive a long, long way back into history for me. Um, I guess my first machine that I was programming on was a Commodore 64, which uh, I, I'm in my 30s. I'll put it. I'll I'll say that. Um, and mm -hmm. so the the time when the Commodore 64 was big was uh, 30 something years ago. Um, I was not very old when I was doing that, but I didn't really get too far beyond. Uh, I mean, copying stuff out of magazines, which is mm -hmm. probably a very unfamiliar concept to a, to a lot of listeners to, of podcasts these days, getting <laughs> magazines full of, of games and stuff and, and copying them by hand into a computer and, and then running it. Um, <clears throat> but but then, then my parents got me an Apple IIe and dad found me a programming book and he had no idea. He still has no idea. Uh, but he helped me work through it when I was about six or seven years old. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I took to it. And so... That was the start of my programming journey, and yes, over the years, it eventually took me through a university degree um, in engineering with a kind of a side of programming that was mm -hmm. uh, stuff that I'd largely already figured out on my own over the years. By that point, <laughs> uh, and and then yeah, to to the job at Microsoft straight out of university, uh, where as as you say, I'm on the the Python team there. Uh, which is a really broad, broad kind of facing role. So I don't do as much programming as I used to anymore. I've been there for a bit over 10 years. Uh, it's a lot of helping, a lot of teaching, training, support. Uh, in the time that I've been there, we've gone from basically me and two of my colleagues being the only people interested in Python at all at the entire mm -hmm. company to... Uh, a lot of stuff going on in Python, and and you know, particularly with the the AI and and machine learning side of things, really growing. All of that is coming out of Python, uh, and so I I may not do as much coding myself for work, but there's a lot of people that are constantly kind of just diving into the Python space uh, and really mm -hmm. looking for you know someone someone to hold their hand a little bit, uh, which you know which I actually mean in, in the nicest, most supportive way I can. Like, it's not that they're bad engineers. It's yeah. It's a big dive. Um, you know, starting off on the Apple IIe as as uh, kind of basic as basic is. Uh, it's a very different mm -hmm. getting started experience to getting into Python now. So, so I get to I get to help a lot of a lot of of very good engineers get into get into Python. Uh, and really excel with it. I'm a little bit curious about, you You mentioned that you do training. Do you have to come up with all your materials yourself or does someone else help you with that? How does that work? 
generally, so generally it's, it's fairly responsive is what I find. Okay. Um, everyone has projects that they're working on, things that they already need to achieve. And when, when they start kind of finding gaps in their knowledge or gaps in their experience, then, mm-hmm. then there's an opportunity to really just go in and fill that gap. Uh, there's, there's a few topics that come up regularly, which I, I really, really ought to just put together kind of, you know, the definitive document on mm-hmm. packaging and environments and all of that stuff that the entire world wishes we had for Python and yeah. <laughs> just come out. But, but, you know, in the context of, of a corporation and everyone's employees of the same place and, you know, we've got kind of a, a bit more control over that, that does actually make sense. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I could be putting all that together. I, I have not, uh, which if my manager's listening, sorry, um, you can put it on my goals for the next year. Um, uh, <clears throat> But, but I do also just get a lot of other people to share as well. I mean, part of, part of the role is not just doing or providing everything myself. It is, it's, it's mentoring, it's growing other engineers, uh, and the opportunity to, to teach and share their knowledge is, is something that's really valuable. So, so I'm quite big on sharing that around, getting more people to, to share on whatever topic they're uh, particularly good at or, mm-hmm. or knowledgeable at, or, or even just something that they're enthusiastic about um, some of the best internal presentations we've had, uh, for, you know, from people who are not not world renowned speakers or anything mm-hmm. like that. But they're they're so they have such an interesting topic and are so knowledgeable about it that they're just really interesting to listen to. Yeah, I've, I've found the people that are passionate about that topic, whether they have a lot of good. Ex- speaking experience are still really good at talking about it typically. So I'm curious. Um, you meant I, we were talking before the show and I was hoping you could share with us uh, what you've contributed to Python, uh, you know, in the last few years. Yeah. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of funny when, when the core developers all sort of hang out at conferences and stuff these days, I, I find that I'm one of the, I guess the older ones, uh, which mm-hmm. feels a bit weird. It doesn't feel that long, but, but I'm coming up on, on nine years of contributing. I think my first PyCon was in 2013. And okay. the second one that I went to was when I became a core developer and started contributing. I, I had a bit of an unusual path to, to joining the team. Normally there's you know, mm-hmm. a bit of process and rigmarole and elections. Uh, I, I happened to time my, my offer to help with the Windows side of things at exactly the point when their last Windows contributor was retiring. So mm. the, there was a gap that was exactly my shape and I got uh, taken up on that offer to help very quickly and merged into the team. So, uh, so, so yeah, so most of my contributions have been around um, Windows and Windows support. The, okay. the installer that Python has on Windows was, was kind of my first big project was to completely rewrite the old one into its newer form, um, <clears throat> primarily for for in in a, a per user install. So when you run it, you have the option now with one click to get kind of a normal shaped install without any admin privileges. Um, and some of the feedback I've gotten on that has been huge. It's like there's kids all around the world trying to use their parents' work laptops to learn 
coding and they don't have permission mm-hmm. to change anything. They're on older systems, they're on slower systems. Uh, and so I've gotten feedback from from them and from their, their teachers and people, uh, you know, working working with these students that they really appreciate that. So that that's one of the things that, oh. that keeps me going is is having that kind of positive impact. Uh, it's been mm-hmm. a range of other things. The Windows Store installer was, was also my work, um, which for, okay. for those who aren't aware, if you're on Windows and you want Python, you can get it from the Windows App Store. Uh, it's officially released by the PSF. It's exactly the same Python as the one you might get from python.org. It's just mm-hmm. in a slightly more convenient package, automatically updates between kind of patch fix versions. Hmm. Um, and I, I th- it has a really nice feature, I think, of working with the, the app reset system. So, so when you install an app, and you probably know this from your phone, if it starts breaking down, you can just go to the app settings and say reset. And it'll hmm. just delete all your settings and go back to factory default. So Python can do that as well if you install it from the app store because because it's an app, hmm. which I think is really cool. Um, and so if you manage to install a whole lot of packages and and break everything, then you can just go and reset it and get back to a nice clean state. Cool. Uh, I didn't know And about then there's that. just a lot of general, I guess one of my big goals with Python has been to make the Windows experience match the, the POSIX experience. So if you write code that works on Linux, chances are it'll work on Windows as well without you having to do anything. And so, you know, there's been a variety of changes that make things just work the same. Um, nice. A lot of the file system APIs and, and stuff, we, you know, used to behave slightly differently and we found ways to make them behave the same. Hmm. Uh, yeah, some of the console stuff. There's just a whole lot of bits and pieces that, most people probably never think about, mm-hmm. uh, but but appreciate now that they work well compared to back when they didn't. Yeah, so you do you do a lot of the behind the scenes stuff that a lot of people may or may not appreciate. I think that's cool. <laughs> I've always been that kind of that kind of person. Like uh, you know, always preferred being backstage in in drama class to being on the stage. Uh, uh, you know, I'm 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 an enabler. At heart, uh, I, I want to enable people, and you know the the credit or the visibility or whatever doesn't really bother me all that much. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I kind of like that about doing DevOps and automation. Is it's kind of behind the scenes. It's not 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 high pressure because you're not working with customers directly. So. No, no one thinks the guy who makes the CI system run faster, but everyone thinks the guy who makes the CI system run faster. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, what are your your per, uh, personal Python? Or per, man, I can't even ask the question. Let me start over. <laughs> <laughs> what are your favorite uh, Python packages or modules um, that you like the best? I feel like I get asked this question on every podcast I ever go on and I give a different answer every time. And I don't know if that's because I have too many favorites uh, or it's it's not because the people who make the modules are paying me to say it. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't refuse, but but it's, yeah, it's not who paid me most recently. Um, I, I guess in the spirit <laughs> of, of being behind the scenes kind of worker, um, I, I like the ones that that kind of glue bits together Mm. in in really neat ways so i've i've been doing um a bit of pybind 11 over the last couple of weeks for for a side project that i've been getting off the ground 
Uh, PyBind 11, for those who don't know, is an is a set of header files for C++ that basically automatically turn C++ functions and classes and objects into Python functions. So okay. it's it's actually mind-blowing how it works. Um, pe- people say mean stuff about C++ all the time, myself included. Um, but the... <laughs> The things you can do with template metaprogramming are mind-boggling. I love it. So, so hmm. essentially, what you can do is you can take any any uh, C or C plus plus function, and you you de- you define a, a class. You use some macro that says, "Hey, this PyBind expose this to Python as an importable module," and then you say, "Here's this class, and this class has this function dot def name mm-hmm. of the function." And then PyBind with just header files in the C++ compiler can go through that function, automatically convert all the parameters from Python objects into the parameters that that type needs. So you never see a Python object directly. You go straight to the native types, uh, Mm -hmm. do whatever calculation you want, and then you just return. And PyBind takes that return value, wraps it back up into Python objects and passes it back into Python. (laughs) Once it's compiled, you then go and import that module from Python and it's it just looks like a, a Python object, a Python function. It's amazing. Uh, huh. I do I do know some amount of how it works. Like I I, I tend to live in the the weird kind of edge cases of everything. So I I have been <laughs> pulling it apart by the seams because I'm pushing it to places it was never meant to go. Uh, mm. So my two weeks with it have not been that really neat experience the whole time. Um, what, what I'm actually doing is I'm taking. Um, XAML, which is kind of a, a windowing uh, toolkit language, it looks like HTML, mm. but it's more robust for defining graphical user interfaces in Windows. And it has all this data binding and events and everything. And I've been writing extensions from that, from the C++ backend, from that to Python, uh, so that you can write a XAML file to define your UI that calls directly into your Python file, and you never see any C++ at all. And that is pushing PyBind to its extremes. It's not meant for that, but it's doing a really, really great job. And I'm actually having huh. a surprising amount of fun reading all of these template error messages, which is something C++ <laughs> developers will know about. Uh, so so that, I mean, I love Scython as well for all the same reasons. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just a great kind of step above the, the regular Python CAP neat and smooth and it's a good level abstraction and it lets you do things that that weren't easy before and mm-hmm. makes them easier so so modules in that category i i really like the ones that glue things together in really interesting ways yeah i can understand that um the last i want to say the last two and a half weeks i've been playing around with scython to create pyd files to which is basically a Python DLL, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with that. Um, but I've, I've never done that before because I've, I've mostly been on Linux and Mac the last few years. So it's been fun to reacquaint myself with Python and Windows and how to do stuff like that. Yeah. And all those libraries work on all the platforms as well. So there's mm-hmm. nothing stopping you from making They just have different file names. So it's going to be a mm-hmm. .dilib on Mac or .so on Linux, but it's... So mm-hmm. it's all exactly the same. You can write native code. You can write fully cross-platform native Python code in Scython and have it run everywhere yeah. at as fast as C. 
if you're yeah. careful. <laughs> that's the that's the ca- caveat. Be careful when you get it. <laughs> uh, well, it's you know you're playing in unsafe territory. So, but the good thing is if you are careful, then and when you get it right, then it's right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wish there were better. There was a little bit more like tutorials out there on Cython because I think it's. I think it's really cool, but harder to get into just because a lot of people don't write about it. It, Yeah, it doesn't really get a lot of coverage. And I think the documentation is, it's grown organically. And and we see this a lot with kind of organically grown documentation. We see it as well with Python documentation. Uh, It's different parts of it are written at different times. And so you end up Mm -hmm. not having a clear flow from here's where you start, here's where you go next. And, and kind of leading you through the steps nice and clearly. Yeah. Uh, I've been using Ginger as part of this as well for generating some of the C++ code. And their documentation is really good because it's hmm. been written in a way that flows really nicely. So you, when you're new to it, you go there and you start at the start, you work your way through and it kind of builds up in the level of intensity. Hmm. Uh, and I think there's just a lot of projects out there kind of lacking it. Yeah, there are. It's... It's really hard to get, you know, talented engineers to also uh, do ta- uh, good writing because that's the, that's not their talent base. They're good at engineering. They're not good at the the writing part of it. So, or not necessarily anyway. It's yeah. It's rare when you get someone who can do both and incredibly valuable. Yes. All right. Moving on. What are some improvements to uh, Python's on for? on Windows development that you don't think very many people know about yet? Not many people know about. Well, okay, so two things come to mind. Uh, the The first one is not my contribution, though I, I did help get it through. Uh, mm-hmm. there, there were some serious, serious improvements to wildcard searching uh, that okay. are in Python 3.12, which uh, I forget the numbers off the top of my head. But but uh, I believe it was Barney Gale who worked on it. Rewrote recursive wildcard searching and just absolutely hmm. blows the old, old code out of the water, especially on Windows. Um, oh, cool. We we used it as well in uh, showutil.copytree, which is a function that will let you recursively <laughs> copy an entire directory to another place. Mm-hmm. And because that involves finding every single file in the tree that gets drastically faster as well um that that was one that i saw that i kind of looked at and i'm like wow this is i didn't realize we could improve this so much um but a big part of why that's significantly improved on windows is because it touches the file system less oh nice uh i guess a second second one as well which i should mention which was my contribution been sitting in the issue tracker for years and I just kind of hit it and I was like, I'm just going to do this one, um, is showutil.copy2, I think is the function that was updated. Okay. There's a whole lot of file copy functions in there for various mm-hmm. compatibility reasons. Uh, copy2, I think, is the one that's meant to be fastest and most native on all platforms. So if you're trying to copy one file mm-hmm. to another, uh, copy2 is the one that you probably want to use unless you've got some special requirement. Okay. And historically what that has done has been to open the file, open the destination, read the contents, write the contents, 
close the close the original, close the destination, open the original, open the destination, copy the metadata, save the metadata, close the original, close the destination, open the original, close the, open the original, copy the <laughs> the security settings, and it's you know it's it's a lot of work for what Windows has a native function to do. And so when that native function is available, which is all the time, uh, it will now mm-hmm. use that. That plus the wildcard search uh, made copy tree like drastically faster. I was going to say 10x. It's probably mm-hmm. 10x faster some of the time. Uh, it's probably not 10x faster the rest of the time because it's going to depend on so many <laughs> other factors. Yeah. Uh, but but certainly I I ran it and looked at it and was like, this is... This is silly fast, which was very satisfying. Uh, and I guess on that theme, uh, a couple more improvements that that not many people know about because they're not quite released yet. Um, one of the the teams that I work with at work within Microsoft is is the Windows team, and we've had a a bit of a group going that's cross divisions within the company, so it's representatives from all over the place working on developer experience for Windows and basically how do we make it better. So uh, what, I I mean, you know, Windows is not a developer-first operating system, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. as much as we wish it was. Uh, Us developers work out to be, uh, and it's like 1%, 2% of the user base, Uh, quite the minority, Um, probably smaller than the number of Call of Duty players. So guess who gets... The, guess who gets the optimized? Certainly fewer than the FIFA players, right? It's like mm-hmm. people who play EA sports games drastically outnumber developers. And, and so they get most of the benefits. So it's really awesome to have this team who's like just tasked with make things good for developers mm-hmm. so that, you know, to make developers happier. And so this is the the group that's put out some of the, the dev home and dev drive things that you may have seen announced recently. Uh, dev drive is one that I was very excited about because we, we know the file system is slower on windows than on other platforms. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's, it, we ran stuff on the same hardware as much as we could and windows is still wildly slower. And, you know, there's, there's a thousand legacy reasons for that and things that just can't be changed. But yeah. through this team, we had kind of the motivation to make some drastic improvements. And this led to dev drive, which is coming out in the next major update, which I think it's supposed to be in November. Okay. I, I, I don't know. I don't, I, this is not an, you know, I'm not making an announcement. I don't know the actual release date, but it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's in preview at the moment. So if you're on Windows Insider Builds, you can have it, uh, which usually means it's going to be out later in the same year. Uh, what DevDrive is, is it lets you create a separate partition, either a virtual one or a real one, if you've got a spare drive or enough space on the drive, that is mm-hmm. optimized for developer work. So it's optimized and we base this around things like npm install and pip install uh, and running PyTest on stuff and building Android apps. And we took all these developer workflows and said, hey, when we run these, they hit the file system a lot. What kind of work are they doing? How do we make that faster? And a number of big things came out that are going to be in, in uh, available as part of DevDrive because you know we can change some things that work well for developers and work well enough that they're worth the trade-offs, but are not necessarily worth it for other users. 
And so mm-hmm. it was handy just to have this switch in there that says, hey, I'm a developer. Treat this space as my developer space. Give me the benefits. I'll take the costs, whatever the costs are. They're typically minor. Okay. Uh, certainly from a developer point of view, we don't care. <laughs> we don't <Yeah>. care. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but you get things like like every file access is significantly faster. And we, uh, I mean, we we put out the marketing post for uh, at Build, I think it was. Might have been, must have been Build. It was a couple of months back. Okay. Uh, we 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 actually had to take Python off the like off the slide that we had. Uh, we, we had, you know, kind of highlight benchmark numbers and we're like, yeah, this .NET workload got 20% faster and this one got 25% faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Python uh, running the pip test suite, in fact, it was. So PyTest, running pip a lot, creating virtual ends a lot, uh, all of that stuff was something like 70, 80% faster. <laughs> and I think marketing looked at it and said, people won't believe this. We can't put this on here. <laughs> where, you know, we're, we're saying 30%, we're saying like 20 to 30%, whatever it was. And so mm-hmm. we took it off. Uh, and, and, and so people don't know about that. Uh, but you know, we used Python mm-hmm. as, as a benchmark to drastically improve windows. And that's, that's the thing I'm really excited about. Uh, that is cool. a lot of that's in the operating system. Python 3.12 has an API to detect if you're on a dev drive, which I hope will let apps start making smarter decisions like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, I could use the temp directory, but I'm on a dev drive. So maybe I should use this drive instead because it'll be faster for extracting a thousand files or whatever the job is to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and 3.12 also has another optimization that will light up in the newer versions of Windows for stat calls. So yeah. uh, code that does os.stat on files, which is a lot of code. A lot of code does that. Uh, and on POSIX, it's really cheap. OS, it's basically free. And so people do it a lot and they just go ahead and do it. On mm-hmm. Windows, it's always been really expensive. Uh, hmm. But we're, we're shipping some improvements to that. They are opt-in, which means code has to be changed to know about it and be able to use it. And so 3.12 is aware. And so if you're running Python 3.12, on one of these newer uh, versions of Windows that's not quite released yet, but it's in preview, then you, you'll get faster stat calls. And it's significantly faster. It's like another 50 to 70% reduction in time for each individual call. Like it's just mind-blowing how good it is, uh, particularly if you're doing a lot of them. And mm-hmm. so, so that, that I'm very excited about because it, it's transparent for most people. That one's going to apply mm-hmm. whether you're on a dev drive or not. Uh, it'll be even faster on a dev drive, but it will work on non-dev drives as well. Okay. Uh, you don't have to change your code. You just get an immediate speed up by using latest Python on the latest Windows. And that's that's the <laughs> kind of improvement that I like when you don't yeah. have to change anything. Yeah, it makes sense to me. Uh, when you say latest Windows, are you referring to Windows 11 or is Windows 10 also getting these improvements? Um, I believe this one is only going to be Windows 11. And okay. when I say latest, I mean the next major update, whether it's, I, mm-hmm. I don't know if it'll be a feature update or a feature refresh or what we're calling it these days. Okay. Uh, but but at some point there'll be like a big, you know, download everything and run the update and, and install uh-huh. it. 
Uh, the ones that have it, there's typically twice a, twice a year, mm-hmm. usually, usually May and November. Uh, so should be, I hope, in the November one, always a chance things get pulled. Uh, yeah. And so if you do have preview, if you are running Windows Insider, then look it up, try it out, get us the feedback, because if it's terrible for some reason, we need to pull it, then we'll pull it. But mm-hmm. uh, better to find that out before it ships to everyone. Yes. It's really cool. Those are really interesting improvements I didn't, I, I certainly wasn't aware of. So thanks for sharing them. Yeah, they, they don't get widely advertised. <laughs> so this question is a little bit silly. Obviously, you're using Windows for development. Um, but what do you like about developing on Windows? If you have if you have the experience to say, you know, I've done it on Linux or Mac, what do you prefer about Windows versus the other uh, operating systems, for example? Um, yeah, this is, a, this is an interesting question. I, so I've done a lot of stuff on all platforms. Um, and, 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 you know, my, my primary one is, is windows unsurprisingly. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I think there's just always been something about the API design that appeals to me more on windows than it does on other platforms. And I suspect that's mainly thinking about kind of the Linux APIs and libc, mm-hmm. uh, cause I haven't really gotten too deep into the rest, but there's, there's something about it's it's kind of the biggest difference, right? It's like once you get onto libs like glibc and all the Linux APIs, they all look the same, and so you you don't really get any value from moving around from that. But moving to Windows gets you a totally different set of APIs for working with the operating system, and the way those work and compose has some kind of some kind of appeal. There's something about it that I that I appreciate. And it's things like, uh, so, so for example, uh, there, there's a concept of like, there's a kernel object concept where you get a handle to, to an object. So if you open a file that often the kernel, it creates some file object that knows about the file you've got open, but your code gets given a handle. Uh, and if you create a thread, then somewhere off in the kernel, it creates some information about a thread and it gives you a handle. And if you create a semaphore somewhere off in the kernel, it, it creates some information about semaphore and gives you a handle and all the handles look the same and you can close them all with the same close handle function. You can wait on them all with the same wait for a handle function. You can stick them all in an array and wait on the array for all those different types of objects because they, they deliberately are set up to look the same and, and kind of have a similar interface. So there's a, a polymorphism there for a C API, like this is the, the oldest C API for Windows that's been around for, I don't know, like 40, 50 years now. Uh, it just has this really kind of neat composability about it that I like. Yeah. Uh, it's also been developed in a way that, that that has grown over time. And certainly it's grown out of real experience with real complex situations. And so you get these obscure parameters that you you almost never use and then occasionally are incredibly important. For example, when you create a file, the create file API takes this H template file parameter. I've literally never used that in my life, but I have come mm. across situations where, oh, I have one file. I need another one with that looks exactly the same apart from the contents and the file name. Mm-hmm. I, I know that I can just pass that in and I've got, you know, a clone of security attributes, every other attributes for this existing file. And it's there and it's just part of the API. 
and there's a real nice composability that 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 looks like deliberate design. Now, there's a lot of stuff mm-hmm. hanging around from older versions as well. Yeah. Um, I do appreciate that virtually nothing gets broken, nothing gets deleted. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's an incredibly important goal in an API, and so that appeals to me. Uh, but but yeah, I think it's 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 kind of abstract and hard to put into words what I <laughs> like about the API. System, yeah. but but I I think that's it. I mean, if if you gave me equivalent APIs on Linux, I'm sure I'd be quite happy there. Yeah, I mean, I I get it. I've I've used the same Win32 or yeah Win32 APIs with Pi Win32 for more than ten years, really, and they haven't changed that much. So it's nice. In fact, I think that's one of the reasons I like Python so much is I have code on my on my blog that is ancient in, you know, programming speak. So, you know, it's more than six years old or whatever, and it still works. Yep. So <laughs> you might have to change the print statement if you if a, the example's in Python 2, but other than that, it works. I actually pulled up an old project of mine to see if it would run. And when I installed the libraries that it needed, uh, clearly it didn't because the, the library had had changed in the meantime, but then I actually went digging a bit to find out when I had last run the project and it was for Python 3.4 and which is many, many years ago now. Yeah. Uh, I I wouldn't have noticed. I wouldn't have noticed apart from digging. Um, yeah. And you know, the, the library, the library was like three major versions newer or something by that point. So I would have, I could have just mm-hmm. installed a really old one that would have been fine. Um, uh, uh, but yeah, it's it's long term. Uh, it's pretty robust. It is. I, I I've, I'm always pleasantly surprised when I go and use, especially the cross-platform GUI libraries for Python. Many of those don't change radically, and so you can use really old code examples, and they still work. It's just just super nice. Anyway. So um, my next question it has to do with uh, Python in Excel. It's kind of the, the new thing on the block that a lot of people are excited about. Uh, what what do you think is really cool about it right now? Yeah. <clears throat> so so Python in Excel is one of these things that we've been wanting to see and kind of agitating for internally for basically my entire career. Mm-hmm. Um, we probably... Probably 2013 or 2014 was when we really started going, hey, who in the Excel team do we need to convince on this? So, so it's mm-hmm. really, really exciting to, to see it come about. Uh, and, and it's even more exciting that the way it was developed uh, actually leveraged a lot of the, the real talent that we've got there. I mean, we had a, a mm-hmm. team of us who were meeting very regularly to kind of design the the workflow, the way it works, the way it feels, uh, the style of code you write, the the way variables work around. And I mean this this team had Guido Van Rossum on it and Anders Helsberg, who's mm-hmm. responsible for TypeScript and C Sharp. Uh Irit Catrio is another core developer, myself. Uh, we were pulling in people from around the company who work on various significant Python projects. Uh, and and really just developing it in a way that that you know involved in, in I mean it involved Guido like what else do I have to say it's like <laughs> of course it's going to feel good at yeah. the end um, 
and 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 I think we've I think we've achieved that. I think there's there's you know it's it's still early days. It's that's still in preview. Um, we haven't mm-hmm. formally. <coughs> excuse me. I hope you can cut that out. Um, um, we haven't you know we haven't formally shipped it though. It is available for for preview customers, I believe. Um, and 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 you know there's there's more coming as well. So this is kind of the the first iteration of it and we've already got things planning to come up later mm-hmm. um i've already seen people kind of complain you know am i going to send all of my code and does to data to the cloud and it's like well initially yeah yeah you are because this is the first pass at it and mm-hmm. we've got to make sure it works um making something work with kind of arbitrary whatever you happen to have installed on your machine is far more difficult than yeah. spinning up spinning up a private container in the cloud uh, and making sure that, you know, all, all your data is protected because we do that all the time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we had a choice of which team to go talk to about how to handle this kind of thing. Uh, so, but, but, you know, there, there'll be more options coming in the future for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and one of the, one of the aspects that, that some of the Excel team members in these meetings absolutely kind of hammered on is, is spreadsheets have to keep working. So if you write a spreadsheet, you know, today in 10 years time, you better be able to open it up and get the same results. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we decided the only way we can guarantee that is by kind of owning the the Python environment that you're going to be running in and making sure that you can get the same one. So, mm. you, know, you know, we've set ourselves up for a big maintenance job for yeah. a very long period of time, but, but we think it's going to be worth it because, because w- the things it does enable are incredible. Mm-hmm. Some of the some of the demos that the the Excel team have been showing us, and and what's real interesting is having you know you'd think with the language experts that we had in the room, you wouldn't be able to impress that group of people, mm-hmm. and yet everyone on the Excel team is such an Excel expert. It's amazing the the, <laughs> the kind of things that they were just building and casually throwing out as demos. Um, there was a really cool one that was analyzing basketball plays, I think, where they had, uh, kind of basketball statistics mapped Mm. out in a spreadsheet and had a cell packed full of Python code that rendered it onto a basketball map in matplotlib and returned that as, as the Mm. chart. It's like, I, I hope that, I hope that one's coming out in public. I hope I'm not misremembering that one and making that up. I'm definitely (laughs) sure at some point, I'm pretty sure it was Excel. That'd be uh, cool, but like, yeah, like basketball maps in Excel, like that's that kind of stuff is is really cool, mm-hmm. and also just being able to to deal with more data. Like one of the biggest issues that Excel has is the the limit uh, on the number of rows, which is not in the millions. I forget exactly what it is, and some power of two, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you know, there's a limit, and if you need to bring in more data than that and the first thing you want to do is filter or aggregate it then now you can you can set up the query that will feed it directly into python on the back end let you do that processing with pandas with scikit-learn with whatever module Mm -hmm. uh, you're choosing to use there and then feed back in the aggregated results to excel in a way that you know looks like an excel table which Mm -hmm. is critically important for so many people to be able to share it like excel is is a presentation format for a lot of people 
Yeah. Um, we actually had these conversations even years ago going with people, you know, why are you using Excel? Why not use Jupyter? And they're like, well, I'd love to use Jupyter, but then I have to move the results back into Excel to send them to my manager because mm-hmm. she needs them in an Excel document. And yeah. so, so being able to keep some of those jobs in Excel and not force people to jump out and jump back in, especially when the data is already starting there. Mm-hmm. The, there's, hmm. the, there's always this kind of tensions like, Hey, are we going to, you know, take Python developers out of the Python community and put them back in Excel? And I really don't think we are. I think if you've got that kind of setup where you're using Python already for data that used to be in Excel or data that's still in Excel, you're probably mm-hmm. going to keep doing that because the scenarios we've really covered are not those ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're, we're really taking people who are Excel users, Excel power users, and offering an additional tool on top. Um, or, or alternatively, taking people who are uh, people who might be developing Python code for a group of people to work with Excel, which is quite a common situation. We, we see that a lot. You, you kind of have like the team of of Python experts at a company and then the 10 or 100 times larger team of analysts who use the work mm-hmm. from those experts. Uh, that kind of scenario, those experts can put everything in an Excel sheet and share it with their company. Yeah. And anyone can have the, the visual, you know, two-dimensional graphical layout fill in the cells they need, run the the complex Python analysis in the background from their point of view and mm-hmm. get the results back. And that can just be shared anywhere. So there's a real, this might be the easiest way to distribute complex Python code now. Hmm. We hope. That's really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't gotten to play with it myself yet, but I, I really like the concept. So. I sure. Well, hit, you know, send, send me an email afterwards and I'll, I'll try and get you on the, try and get you to skip the the queue. I don't know if I can do that, but I'll try. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> that is really, really cool. I didn't realize you actually worked on the project, but that's really nice. I, I'm glad I got to talk to you about that project. There's there's most most things that are involving Python in a significant way I've I've touched at some point. Uh, okay. I, either voluntarily or because I've had to send mildly angry emails saying, please, please stop doing it this way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, there's, there's been more than one occasion when I've seen a package show up on PyPI that's come from us that is just not ready for release. And then it's, mm. let's go track down who did that. And if I can track them down, if not start spamming all of these internal discussion groups to try and find it and let's have a mm-hmm. conversation. So. that's cool well I think I'm out of my questions now so I just want to thank you so much for being on the Python show with me and thank you for your time and I hope to have you on the show again sometime in the future yeah great to join you thanks for having me yeah thank you hit subscribe and don't miss the next episode Mike Driscoll The Python Show 